So for this uh, final time tonight, would you please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 6 through 8 together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's been my prayer, uh, guys, this weekend that the Spirit of the Lord would refocus the men of the church on the life that he has set out for each of us. A life that is wrapped up in the glory of God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. That he would sit once again in, in our mind's eye, in our heart's eye, as our, as our Lord, as our Savior, that He would sit on the throne of our life. And that we would look to Him and, and see how He lived and how He suffered and everything He went through as our model. And the glory that He now has at the right hand of the Father and our eyes would be firmly fixed upon Him and that He would be your hope. That we would have the life of the cross now. That we would go through the narrow path now. As Robert was talking about earlier. That we would weep now. That we would sorrow now. Because rejoicing is coming. That as the men who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been given the Holy Spirit, that we would no longer be living lives that are dominated by our own will, but by His. That we would agonize as Jesus agonized. As we fight the good fight against Satan, his demons, his schemes, and our own flesh, of course, that we would, by the power of His Spirit, fight to the death. That we would run the race set before us with endurance, casting off the weights and sins. That we would no longer identify and emulate and follow in the footsteps of the heroes of this world. But rather, that we would once again be men whose eyes and hearts are fixed upon Jesus, our Savior, the author and the finisher of our faith. And... Men, our, our lives are all funneling down to that moment where we are going to give up our last breath. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad or worthless. Now that's kind of where, that's where we are headed to. We're headed to stand before our Lord Jesus. The righteous judge. And we will give an account for how we ran the race. How we fought. How we lived. If we kept the faith or we didn't keep the faith. 
the things we've done in our body, whether good or bad, not morally bad, but worthless, wasteful, as we are in front of the Bema seat of Christ, the mercy seat of Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> because we are not appointed to wrath. And I'm praying that we would respond to the Holy Spirit so that we, like Paul, can say with confidence at the end of our lives, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. And now, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me only, but also to those who love his appearing. So when the fight is over, when the race has been run, we're going to stand before the mercy seat of Christ. And he who is righteous is going to judge us. And guys, it is a pastor's heart that we would stand before him with confidence. And there's so many pictures in the scripture that talks about a bride being prepared and washed in the word, presentable to the Lord Jesus. And all these, this imagery. That you would be mature. You would be full in before him. And obviously, as Tom talked about before, we're not going to reach that now. But we wouldn't have run our lives in vain. Because what happens now determines what happens then in many ways. And so, as we've talked about, Paul has been using sports terms to, de to describe his life. I think it's a very guy thing to do. The struggles of his life, he paints the pictures in sports terms of the day. And, and obviously, fighting and running both were used, uh, words used with that Greek word, agon, which we've talked about. We've discussed it at length. That agonizing event, both running and fighting, that word is agonizing. That's, that is what that is. And he was used in describing what would happen in the public Greek games. Where people would be involved in exerting great effort and energy. Like in the Olympics. And Paul is saying that he competed. He, he fought. He ran. He kept the faith. And like those who competed and were victorious in the public games. The final event after it's all over was to stand before the judge. And like those athletes, receive the reward for all the toil, all the pain, all the suffering. Everything they put in was funneled down to that moment. So they would stand for the judge and they would receive the crown, the, 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 the medal that would be their glory. It's so weird why, why we got... 12 or 11 guys on the field and they run around and do crazy stuff every week all for a little statue and they lift it up. All for that moment when it falls down and comes down. Why? There's a drive in them for that. For that glory. And it falls short of the true glory that God created for them. And Paul's saying this is, this is why I agonized. To stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ. And just as those athletes were given that wreath upon their head, so Paul anticipated the Lord Jesus is going to place on me this crown of righteousness. And it is going to be awesome. And Paul identifies the reward as, as the crown. He identifies it as the crown of righteousness. That's what he calls it. The crown of righteousness. And the word crown here is not the word diadem. It's not the king's crown, not the king, not the crown that Jesus wears. 
This is rather a garland or a wreath that was placed upon a person's head. And as I mentioned about these wreaths, they're placed on athletes when they completed these strenuous events or dignitaries and those who completed military service. And it's actually the same word for crown of thorns. That's what they were doing. The highest honor in Roman society was to place that crown upon someone's head as a symbol of honor. And what did they do with the Lord Jesus? They put it on as a symbol of the exact opposite, dishonor, mockery. And they put a robe on him and all those things. But what they did not know is that at that, at that moment they were putting that on, that Jesus was actually completing the race that God had laid out for him. And while he was given dishonor, a short time later... He ascended above everything to the right hand of God. And that is where he sits now. And he's going to descend one more time for us. So, the crown speaks of that great honor given to someone who has agonized for that reward. But unlike this world's awards, this is not a perishable crown. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 speaks to them in a different context, but he says in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? We spoke about this early. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may obtain the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. The nature of your reward is imperishable. It is not going to go away. Peter speaking of that in 1 Peter chapter 1 he actually speaks about the inheritance that we'll receive. He says that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice now. Why? For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the, te- the genuineness of your faith will be tested, which is more precious than gold that perishes. Although it's tested by fire and it goes on, it's to the praise and glory of God the Father. But the, the nature of your reward is imperishable. It's not going to rust. It's not going to crowd. It's not going to go away. Think of everything in your life, your body, my guitar, this place, it's all going away. It's perishing. The nature of the reward that Christ Jesus will lay on you is everlasting. Just think of the things that we toil for in this life. And compare it to the un, incomparable glory of the eternal, righteous Jesus Christ crowning us with this crown of righteousness that will never fade, never go away. 
the world's accolades and all the trophies and memorials, they're all going to go away. But the crown of righteousness that Paul is speaking about is laid up for us. It's kept for us. And it will never fade. It is everlasting. And the reward that Paul is awaiting for from Jesus is identified as the crown of righteousness. What is that? That's important. Some say that it is the crown that is a result of our righteousness. And in a way that is, that is kind of true. Maybe that kind of sounds like selfish. But meanwhile... Yeah, meaning uh, basically, I live righteously in this crown is a result of that righteous living. That's one way to look at it, but I don't think that's what it, what Paul's saying there. I don't want to get into the you know genitive case of the Greek with you, but I believe that it is saying that the crown that Paul is going to receive is righteousness. That that's Paul's reward. He will be crowned with. Righteousness. Now, as a Christian, if you've been in the word whatsoever, you're going, wait a second. I thought we already have righteousness. We've been made righteous. And I would say, absolutely, brothers. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been justified before God. You have been declared righteous. Romans chapter 4 teaches that Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. So that is something called positional righteousness. You are positionally right before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we also have practical righteousness. Because you have been saved, because you are His, because you're positionally righteous, guess how it's going to show up? In how you live and how you practice what you do. And that's practical righteousness. That's right living before God. And so that's a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Sanctification. Amen? And we experience that righteousness of Christ being worked in and through us. Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to what? Righteousness. Amen? That means that we have positional righteousness... Because we are born again, and it's going to show up in the way we practice that our lives are going to be righteous. And so, in those two senses, we have been made righteous positionally before God, and practically, we have been experiencing the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. But we have yet to experience the fullness of righteousness until we have been perfected. And I think that's what Paul's talking about right here. That is... We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved by the sanctifying work from the presence of sin or from the power of sin, right? From the power of sin over our life. But guys, we are not yet redeemed from the presence of sin. You wake up with that sucker every morning. Amen? I mean, it, it resurrects every morning. Here we are. What do you know? The old man... And that is truly what every true believer would long for that. That perfect righteousness. To be in the presence of God and to be removed from the presence of sin. Amen? To experience that perfect righteousness. Peter in 2 Peter 3, 11-13, he says, Therefore, since... All these things will be dissolved. He's speaking about the world. 
what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of God, uh, coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. It's like, live righteously, right? Because nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Totally different than where we are right now. We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What does that mean? Sin is not present. Wow. Can you imagine that? The absence of sin. No temptation. James speaks of temptation. Why are you tempted? Because you are evil. You've got evil in you. You got a roommate. The Spirit of God in, you got this body of death, and the body of death pulls you toward the direction of death every day, and we're to reckon it dead, but it's still there. Can you imagine that? No temptation. Because you have a new body. <laughs> Praise the Lord. One fitting your spirit. No evil. Nothing coming out of your mouth that is unholy, unwholesome. Nothing coming out of anyone else's mouths that are like that. No evil thoughts. No evil thoughts, guys. No evil thoughts. Holy moly, yes, bring it on. Never an evil word spoken or an evil deed. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness. And we will be crowned with righteousness. Revelation 22, 12-15 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Jesus says, To give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside, outside, that is in the lake of fire are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever, and this is the key word, loves and practices a lie. Where is their affection? Where is their love? It's not for him. Heaven will be the absence of sin, brothers. The absence of evil, it will be perfected righteousness. Because we will be with him. <laughs> Paul longed for that reward. And I feel like when I'm, when I'm, when I'm reading this, I'm studying this, and, I, and I'm kind of going over it, I'm going, what world are you living on, Paul? Like, these are the things you went after. These, this is how you saw everything. This is the lens in which you looked through life, and you looked back at your life. Like, you're like, this is what it's all about. God has had such mercy on me. I'm born again. He is so holy. And I see that picture. I'm just running towards him. And everything about my life is just to, to please him and honor him. Because that is my ultimate reality. To be with him. To be righteous. To be pure and to be holy. It's working that salvation out. Why? Because Jesus is his. What does it say in... in in the Beatitude, blessed are, are, are those who hunger and thirst after what? 
righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. As Robert was talking about earlier, now is the hungering and thirsting. When does the filling come? I think it's on that day he crowns us. Yes, we have been justified. Yes, we are being sanctified. Yes, we have those righteousness, positional and all that stuff. But on that day, guys, we're longing for it when the stupid sin and weights that are in us are finally removed and we are crowned with righteousness. We don't have to deal with this junk anymore. Amen. Amen. What a great salvation. And Paul longed for that. He lived for that each day towards the ultimate reality when he would stand before his great judge and savior. And yes, Paul, he did have positional righteousness and he was, yes, he was saved. He had the Holy Spirit who wrought out that practical righteousness in his life, but he longed to be perfected. He longed to be glorified. The day when sin would be removed from his presence and he would forever be in the presence of a holy God. Jesus in Matthew 5, 6 said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. (coughs) Brother, our faith is evidenced in the way we fight, in the way we run, in the way we keep faith. And And our aim is Him. And He is our righteous King. And guys, Paul's greatest enemy on this earth, I don't think it was the Romans, I don't think it was the antagonistic Jews, and, and guys, I don't even think it was Satan and the demons themselves. Who do you think Paul's greatest enemy was? Himself. Oh gosh. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Where's the salvation that's going to come from to get rid of this problem? I mean, I know they're, they've got that, but this, I, what's going to happen? It has to be. I cannot wait. You are it. Save me, Lord God. Save me. (laughs) Not only since you have, but continue. And the reward is the crown of righteousness. And Paul's fight against Satan was no doubt difficult. And Paul's race was against himself, though. That fight was against himself. And to keep the faith, he had to fight and run against his own fallenness every day. And that's why we're calling this a fight to the death. The death of self, and then until that day that you stand before the Lord Jesus, it is a fight. And by the way, it is not in our own power. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we lay our lives down and are connected to the vine, he empowers us to have this victory as he lives through us. Paul reckoned himself dead to sin and alive to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's obviously our forerunner and our example. And so Paul's reward was the crown of righteousness, eternal righteousness, eternal life. It's used in different ways all throughout Scripture, all referring to the same thing. The absence from sin eternally, inside and out, and the presence of God eternally. And so Paul says at the end of his life, finally, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That's Paul. But what about us? What does he go on to say? What does he go on to say, guys? Not only me, but who else? Who what? Who loved his appearing. You know that word appearing means? His presence. I just, I think that's interesting. We, we think of it, his second coming, yes. 
But I think it has a, a greater scope than that. I think we long to be with Him. I think that is what it is to be a Christian. A Christian loves God. A man who has been born again loves God. A man who has not been born again does not love God. His affections are everywhere else. He isn't even pricked in his conscience half the time. But a man who has been born again loves God and love Boy, I tell you what, that's a powerful thing. Love gives. Love sacrifices. Love lays down. Love fights. Love agonizes. Love runs. We love Jesus Christ and we show it by our life. And it's all Him working in through us anyways. (laughs) Which is the trick. Paul longed to be where Jesus was, in the kingdom of righteousness, ruled by the king of righteousness. And that is really the mark of a man who's been born again. We love God. If you keep reading, which I don't want to go into another message, but if you keep reading, you see that Paul says in verse 9, what does he say? Paul goes on to say, we often don't connect it because the, the, the separation in the chapters there, but what does he say? Be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? Verse 10, for who? Demas, ha- Demas has forsaken me having what? Having loved this present world. Demas d- stopped fighting. He stopped running. He, he did not keep the faith. Why? Where was his love ultimately placed? In this present world. And that is the difference between Christians and that is the difference between un- the unsaved. His love for the world. The rich young ruler loved his money. People loved their families more than they loved God. They weren't willing to give up jobs. They weren't willing to give up money and finances and things that are actually all going away for the eternal kingdom and for the eternal king. You love this present world. May it not be so with us. And so as we close, I want to look back at verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, which I think is where we all began. And the significance of that as we close As Paul says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Again, the drink offering was the final offering that was poured over the first two sacrifices. The first sacrifice was the bull, or the ram, or the lamb. And the second, a grain or a bread offering. And the third was the drink offering of wine. And... So here we see a very clear picture of Christ and his sacrifice. The fight he fought, the race he ran, the faith he kept and modeled for us. That the Lamb of God was consumed for us. He was consumed for us. And his body was broken for us. Picture of the bread, right? The grain offering in whose blood was shed to take away our sins, that last offering, the final covenant (laughs) of his blood. Brothers, Jesus has fought the good fight. He has fought the fight you need to fight. 
Lean in Him. Trust Him. He has run the race that you need to run. Lean into Him. Trust Him. Put your eyes on Him. Jesus has kept the faith. Not only has He kept the faith, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? (laughs) And now, His Spirit lives in us by grace through faith. Jesus said in, in John 15, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're already clean, guys. Those of you who have put your faith in Christ, you're already clean. And he says in verse 4, Abide in me. Make your home in me. And me and you. Do that. Now. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The power to fight the death comes from, to fight to the death comes from Christ. And this whole thing is, is to refocus us on the fact that He has done it, but He's also commanded us to live it out. And that is where faith is demonstrated in by what we do. And I think we are fooled of ourselves if we if we are not engaged in the fight, we're not engaged in the run, and we have not kept the faith. But make, make no mistake, it is Christ who's actually done it in and through us. And so lean and depend upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the empowering of the Holy Spirit for you to do what you cannot possibly do apart from Him. Lean upon Him. Remember his great love for you shown on the cross. So guys, uh, when you when you leave here, I pray that you will fight to the death. And I pray that on that day, when I see you, <laughs> we'll be like, yes, boom, crown of righteousness. That's over. And by the way, I didn't even get into the rewards. This is entry-level reward. We all get the crown. But the degree to which you obey Christ, and this is demonstrated in other, other, other parables and other things, is the degree that you will be able to serve Him in the kingdom to come. Your faithfulness now determines your rewards then. So it's not, oh, did I get in? It's what will happen throughout eternity depends on what you do right now. Fight. Lay it down. Pour out your life. Be rewarded. Don't be the guy who took the talent and put it in the ground. Go and invest it for the kingdom, guys. I didn't even get into that tonight, but I want you to know that there's more than that. We're all like those servants who went into the field and one started at twelve at 6 in the morning, one started at 12, and one started at 4 in the afternoon. They all got paid the same wage. They got the crown of righteousness. But I tell you what, the guy who had five and he invested it, he got five more. The guy who got ten, ten more, whatever the parable is, right? Invest, follow. May the Lord give you strength. So as we finish, I wanted to um, just have a time of communion with the Lord, of just thanking Him and 
in reminding him of, of our love for him, of course, but also just being reminded of, of his love for us. And so I have a table here. There's, there's the cup and there's the bread. And, and what we'll do is we'll go ahead and pray. And then afterward, I'm praying, just go grab those elements, bring them back to your seat. You can get together with each other and pray for each other. Um, whatever it might be, just commune with the Lord. And we're just going to spend a minute or two worshiping together. And at the end, we'll close in prayer. Amen. So, Father, we come before you, and we want to thank you for this weekend. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with, that we're all here, and we're all able to eat and to drink together and to uh, be around and, and to talk about everything under the sun in this beautiful place. And we do ask, Lord, that you bless the staff here and all the families involved in Calvary Chapel, Tri-Cities, and uh, we will ask that you bless uh, Calvary, Walla Walla, Lord, and Pastor Tom and the flock there, and, and Christ Community Fellowship, and, and you have, and you've been so faithful, Lord. Thank you for everything that you've shared this weekend through your word and through fellowship, and as iron sharpened iron this weekend. May it be eternally set in our hearts, God. May it change the trajectory of where we're going for your kingdom. And I pray that generations of men from this day would be changed because of the men who laid down their lives in this room. And if anyone has not given their hearts to Jesus, and they are like, what is this all about? They've never given their hearts to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin to Him, and He died on the cross to forgive you of your sin, and He rose again to have power over death, and through faith in Him, you are given eternal life. It is not something you earned. It is something He freely has offered. But you must repent, and you must turn, and you must believe, and then follow after the Lord. And so now, Lord, we come before You, and we commune with You, we love You, and we ask You to bless the rest of our fellowship. In the name of Jesus, Amen. The sin. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul, my God, like you there is no other, truly in life is found in you alone.
Baby. 